Pastor Scott shared with me our theme for today for Advent, the first Sunday of Advent, which is my whole being waits. And it kind of begs a follow-up question. My whole being waits for what? Let's try that. I'll say my whole being waits, and together as a congregation, you're going to say, for what? Just like that. You can even have a little attitude. For what? All right? My whole being waits. What? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> the answer is, as we move through Advent, our whole being waits for what is and what is to come. For what is and what is to come. Similar to Alden Care, I grew up, my home church was not quite as successful as Alden Care. We had a very small congregation. On a good day, we probably busted into the 20s. And the church was actually located in a senior citizen complex where nearly all of the people were in their late 70s and in their 80s and in their 90s. This church, my home church, was started in 1970 so that the seniors of all denominations and even all faiths could come when they no longer could travel to their own church. It's called River Oaks Estates Chapel. And that church would become their new church family embracing Catholics and Protestants and seekers and non-believers that were all looking for more light and more love in their lives. And one of the traditions we did every Sunday at the church was we sang the same song to close out our worship. And the song was this. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. And it was so important because those people in the congregation were living their final days. The oldest member of our congregation was Bernice. She was no longer able to walk well. She'd be wheeled by a wheelchair down to the front of the church, and each Sunday we would set up a recliner-type chair for her in the very front row. And one Sunday after the service, after we had sung that traditional song, she grabbed my arm and she said, I can't wait for that day. And the way she spoke those words let me know my whole being waits for that day. Now she knew she was a child of God. She knew that Jesus came to show his love and his salvation for her. She had a longing expectation for her current reality, what is. But she also had a longing expectation for what is to come. Because she was tired. She was in pain. She had experienced her fair share of suffering. 
She was no longer enamored with the world or anything in the world. But she came each week to celebrate what is and that she belonged to God. And until that day comes, she would say, I intend to do what little I can for the few that I can. What a great mission in your life, huh? Bernice would always say, until that day comes, I intend to do what little I can for the few that I can. And yet there was one thing that remained in her life. What was to come? The song goes on to say, there'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no pain, no more dying over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Her funeral was the first funeral I ever officiated. And she taught me early on in ministry that faith is a paradox. It's a paradox that embraces what is today, but yet what is to come. Isaiah 9, if they continued reading from our today's verse, when we lit the Advent candle, it would say this, the prophet Isaiah later on in chapter 9 would say, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace has come, yet ultimate peace has not yet come. Salvation has come to the world, yet our day of ultimate salvation is still yet to come. I once was lost, but now am found, but at times I still get lost. Even though I've given, been given spiritual sight, at times I still feel blind. Faith is a paradox. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. To have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. Earlier we heard a powerful verse from Isaiah 9-2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, a light has come, a light that shines in the dark world. This was a promise. A promise given to a people that were described in Isaiah 8.22. That's the last verse of Isaiah 8. And it says this. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and a people thrust into utter darkness. That was the context to which that was given. Thousands of years later... 
Many would probably offer a similar, similar analysis about what can be said about our world today. And yet the same promise that was in Isaiah's day is our promise as well. The what is, is that a light has come. But yet the darkness has not been eliminated. So we long not only for what is, but we long for what is yet to come. Revelation 21 says that one day there will be no need for the sun or the moon or any other light. For the glory of God will give it light and the Lamb himself will be the lamp. So we're caught in this restless paradox that Bernice felt so strongly. She was at home in her relationship with Christ, but she was ready to go home. Her whole being was waiting for what is and what is still to come. So I guess the next question we have to answer is this. What do we do while we wait for what is and what is to come? What can be done? On Valentine's Day 1991, I surprised my then-girlfriend by getting down on my knee and declaring my exclusive devotion for her. I came up with this real cheesy poem that ended with this line. Short term will just not do. I want you for eternity. So with your hand in mine, I ask, oh, Karen, will you marry me? And it worked. She reciprocated, and we pledged our commitment, and we set a date, December 20th, 1991. In a couple weeks, we'll be celebrating our 26 years of marriage. But let me testify. But I think those first 10 months were the roughest. Engagement period is a tough time. What makes it rough is that we have pledged ourselves to each other. We made the decision to be husband and wife. Yet for 10 months we had to live with this paradox. The restlessness of what is, and then the hope of what is to come. In one respect, I hated those 10 months. We talked about eloping. We talked about having a ceremony before the ceremony. But on the other hand, those 10 months provided us with a critical window where a lot of work had to be done while we were waiting. We were both wrapping up our college degrees. We had no idea about where to live. Neither one of us had a job, let alone a career. Oh yeah, there's that whole thing about planning a wedding. You know, the church, the caterer, the invitations, even the planning of the honeymoon. The engagement time was no time to sit around and wait. Instead, we had to engage in a participatory waiting that was more like an active longing. As we begin Advent, God is inviting us in a much deeper sense to participate where our whole being waits. Our whole being waits for what is and what is to come. We have been invited to active participation. Our participation is to work. 
And to welcome and to share and to spread this light that has come into the world. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. We're actually not the light, but like the moon, we've been invited to shine and reflect the light that is God. This invitation takes us to our final passage this morning that Nia read to us from Isaiah 61. The second part of the reading from Isaiah 61 is when we are given a glimpse of what is to come. It says this, The ancient ruins will be restored. Amen? Amen. The ruined cities will be renewed. Amen? The places long devastated will finally prosper. The people will flourish like oak trees. The covenant of God will be known throughout the land. All the people will acknowledge that these people who were once down and out, those on the margin, are actually the same people who are now blessed by the Lord. And not only them, but it goes on to say that their descendants and their offspring will be known as people who are blessed by the Lord. That is the picture of what is to come. Come, Lord Jesus. Quickly come. Fix our broken homes. Help our struggling cities. Improve our depressed areas. Take everything that's old and make it new again. Lord Jesus, quickly come. That is what it is to come. It is a picture of our word for this church for the whole year. It is a picture of hope. Of hope. We who have been left out are now no longer the have-nots. We are the haves. The oppressed, those who are broken, those who are discouraged, those who are experiencing sadness and grief, God is here for you. Now if that is what's to come, then what do we do in the meantime? Well, we participate. In our waiting, we are to involve our whole being, is what it states in the beginning of Isaiah 61. Between now and what is to come, what will we do? We will proclaim good news to the poor. What will we do? We will bind up the brokenhearted. We will work to set the captives free. We will bring comfort to those who are mourning. A spirit of hope to those who are in despair. And to those who are sad, we may even do a little caroling. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. We will love our neighbors more. We will listen to those who need to speak. We will show compassion to those on the margins. We will spend more time in prayer. Praying, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. We are to actively wait by celebrating what is and what is to come. If you are following the Christianity Today Advent book that this church is is, is working on, I know because I did all the lessons for this week coming up already. You will find on page 20 some things you can do with your family to actively wait for what is to come. And in addition to those five suggestions, I will conclude with something that happened to our family this Advent. We decided this year that instead of giving gifts to each other, we were going to do two things. 
The first thing is we are going to take the money instead of spending it on gifts, and we're going to pool our money to take our family on a trip to Uganda, Africa this March. Our 13-year-old has decided that our Christmas, we're going to dress up in African batik. I see our sister over here looking good in her African batik. Okay. We are going to get some Ugandan coffee and some G-nuts and some pineapple and some bananas. And our Christmas is going to be consisting of playing drums and listening to African music. In this March, we're going to take some of our Wyman family, at least four of our students with us as we go over to Uganda, Africa. And we're going to use the money that we would normally spend on items to have an adventure and to have an experience. To work with people in refugee camps and to support a school that we've been building for 10 years that now has 800 students. And then we also decided that we wanted to do something locally, that we wanted to help out here as well. So we said to our family, with no strings attached, we want you to put down on a piece of paper people or organizations or things we can do to help out people you know that are in need here. Now, what I'm about to suggest comes with a big warning. I'll tell you what happened in the end. You might not want to do this after I tell you. If your family gets excited about this, it may cost you dearly. Normally, I think we, our family would spend about a thousand bucks on Christmas. Different gifts and different things like that, what we do. By the time our family was over putting what we wanted to do for others down on the piece of paper, we allocated $7,500 of charitable gifts to others. For sure, it will be the most expensive Christmas ever. But it'll also probably be our Christmas with the greatest amount of joy. Because this Christmas we have turned our focus from ourselves to welcome a focus on others. My prayer for us all is that we live a little bit more like Bernice. That our whole being will wait for what is and what is to come. That we will do what little we can for the few that we can. That we will be less enamored with this world, but more hopeful on our waiting for what is. That a Savior has been born, he is Christ the Lord. And for what is to come, that this same Savior that came to us, this same light, is coming back again to make all things new. And as our whole being waits, we will hear the words of the prophet Isaiah, Arise! Shine, for your light has come. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.